0: invite you now to take your Bibles and turn with me to our scripture reading. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. We begin at verse 18, Luke 18, verse 18. We read through chapter 19, verse 10. Luke 18, verse 18. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife, or brothers, or parents, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside, begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's respond to this reading by singing from Psalm 31, stanzas 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we may once again hear about the good news of salvation, the good news about our Savior Jesus Christ and why he came to earth And that good news comes to us this morning from our text in Luke 10, verse 19. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that's the theme for the sermon this morning. And as we explore this, what this means, we will consider, first of all, who are the lost, and secondly, what Jesus does to save the lost. I'm sure you're quite familiar with the story about Zacchaeus. There's even a little children's song written about this episode. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You can picture it happening in your mind's eye, can't you? This little man who can't find a spot in the crowd, so he runs to the edge of the crowd somewhere and finds a tree to climb into because he wants to see this famous rabbi from Galilee. He wants to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And the sycamore tree, of course, had a distinct advantage for him, too, because it was, had, had rich foliage, so he could hide amongst the leaves. He didn't want to be seen. Of course, there's a reason for that. He wasn't the most popular guy in town. He was a tax collector. And the chief tax collector at that, as you may know, the Romans had a very ingenious system of collecting taxes. They didn't do it themselves. They hired out that business to the locals. and They let out the tax contracts to the highest bidder. And the Roman government wasn't really con- too concerned as to how much that tax collector would skim off the top for himself as long as the government got what it needed. In that way, the tax collector was the bad guy. Now, if you had risen to the position of chief tax collector, well, then you could really line your pockets. But, of course, you did this at the expense of your fellow countrymen, so you can understand that people hated tax collectors. Someone wrote that perhaps the best modern comparison is to native Dutch or French citizens who became Nazi collaborators during World War II. They also were very much... Hated, So we can understand then that Jesus would say after his meeting with Zacchaeus, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus obviously was a lost person. But our text also tells us something else about this lost man, something <clears throat> that's rather obvious, and sometimes the obvious gets overlooked. And that obvious fact is that he is a son of Abraham. <clears throat> And you could say, well, sure, he's a Jew, so obviously he's a son of Abraham. But stop and think about that for a moment. This is a covenant child, a member of the church. Zacchaeus is one to whom the promises of the covenant were given. He was circumcised as well. He had received the sign and seal of the covenant. God had claimed this man. I will be your God, you will be my child. As your heavenly Father, I will care for you. I will wash your sins in the blood of my Son. I will renew you by the Holy Spirit. You recognize those promises, I'm sure. Because those are the promises that we all receive when we are baptized. Baptized into the name of the triune God. That's our reality. While that was reality for Zacchaeus too. God says, I am your God, you are my child. Now Zacchaeus even had a name to remind him of this. His name means the just one or the righteous one. That's the name that his parents gave to him when he was a little child. The righteous one. So this is a reflection of his status as a child of the covenant. The Lord promises you righteousness through the forgiveness of your sins when you believe in him. And this is the reality for us too. The covenant promises are the same for us as they were for Zacchaeus. We read that in the form for baptism. For example, when we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises us that He washes us in His blood from all our sins, unites us with Him in His death and resurrection. Thus we are freed from our sins and accounted righteous before God. So Zacchaeus was a covenant child. But he was in love with money. He loved money. He was consumed with greed and he had a very lucrative job. He's obviously pretty good at it, good enough to rise to the top position, become the top bureaucrat in the tax department in the district of Jericho. And Jericho was a great place to collect taxes because the major trade route from the north in Damascus ran through Jericho, south to Arabia in the south. There was lots of expensive stuff coming through Jericho. And so Zacchaeus became rich. He had figured out how to make himself rich, but of course at the expense of his fellow citizens. But at the same time, he could still claim to be an honorable citizen. After all, no one could accuse him of breaking the letter of the law. That's why he could still keep on operating. So, what if you skim a little extra off the top, right? Of someone else's hard earned money? That's just business. But by living this way, Zacchaeus revealed his heart. He did not put God first in his life. He does not love God with all his heart. He loves money. He doesn't serve the Lord the way he should. He doesn't love his neighbor the way he should. Just think, for example, of how the Catechism explains the Eighth Commandment. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way. God forbids all greed. I must deal with others as I would have others deal with me. Lord's Day 42. And so, here in Jericho, the Lord Jesus meets this lost covenant child. By birth, he had all the promises and advantages of membership in the people of God. He had the promises of salvation. He, he Righteousness was, was his birthright, as his own name reflects. He's a member of the church, but he chooses to love what the world has to offer. He was not willing to make sacrifices for the Lord. Instead of living as a citizen of heaven, he lived for the here and now. Jesus already warned about that kind of attitude back in Luke chapter 9, which I preached on a few weeks ago. There, the Lord Jesus met someone who said, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus says, if you do not, whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Well, Zacchaeus was someone who was looking back. He was constantly looking back at what the world had to offer instead of what the kingdom of heaven had to offer. And so he's living in spiritual blindness. And that's what that blind man on the road to Jericho symbolizes. That man could not see Jesus. So he asked Jesus to heal him. But his blindness typifies the spiritual blindness of Zacchaeus. Because did, did Zacchaeus see himself as a lost sinner? Well, there's no evidence that he did. Sure, he wanted to see Jesus, but that's not, there's no evidence that this was more than simple curiosity on his part. But while he may not have seen himself as lost, his fellow citizens sure did, didn't they? According to them, he was the big sinner. He was the tax collector. If anyone in Jericho was lost, they'll tell you who it is. That's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. But what about the other citizens of Jericho? The blindness of the man whom Jesus healed earlier also typifies the spiritual blindness of most of the people who crowded around Jesus, the people of Jericho and those who followed him, were they really any better than Zacchaeus? Could they see better than this blind man? Did they see Jesus better than Zacchaeus? And was Zacchaeus the only lost son of Abraham in the crowd? Because what do they say when they hear that Jesus wants to stay in the house of the chief tax collector? They grumbled He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And of course, that's true. But what does this attitude reveal about the grumblers? What they fail to understand is that salvation is for sinners. They fail to understand that salvation is for the lost, for the outsiders, for the outcasts. Because if salvation is not for the swindlers and the greedy and the money grubbers, then who is salvation for? See, Zacchaeus was exactly the kind of scoundrel that Jesus was looking for, because he came to seek and save the lost. And if the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, who better than to seek and to save than Zacchaeus? But Jesus didn't come to share in his sin, as the Jews accused him of doing. He came to save him, not to condone his sin, but to offer him forgiveness. Forgiveness. But by grumbling about Jesus' visit to the house of this sinner, the grumblers exposed their own lack of spiritual insight. They exposed their own spiritual blindness. Their grumbling was evidence that they were also blind, as much in need of saving as Zacchaeus. And they didn't recognize that. And that brings us to what is significant for us congregation. Do you think that you are in need of saving? Do you think that you are lost? Are you willing to say with the tax collector in the parable of Luke 18, God be merciful to me, a sinner? Are you willing to say with the Apostle Paul, O wretched man that I am, wretched woman, wretched boy, wretched girl that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you recognize that you need saving? Or is it just the tax collectors and the sinners out there somewhere that need saving? Is it just the adulterers or those who are divorced or the porn addicts or the alcoholics? Or is it just the person who thinks differently about things in the church than you? Is it just the other person who needs to be saved? Well, that was the attitude of, of the people in the crowd, the grumblers. He's going to eat with a sinner. In other words, we're not sinners. We are the righteous. They considered themselves righteous, and Zacchaeus the sinner, and they certainly didn't think of themselves as lost. But then why? Why was Jesus on his way to Jerusalem? If they had understood the answer to that question, they never would have grumbled about Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. And while Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the cross, it's no accident that his journey to Jerusalem took him through Jericho. He came to seek and save the lost. That's exactly what he was doing in Jericho. And that brings us to our second point. What Jesus does to save the lost. Well, he could have gone a different way, of course. But he had a task in Jericho and he makes a point of entering that city to find a lost sinner. Again, you can, you can picture it in your, in your mind's eye. There's Zacchaeus hiding in a sycamore tree, expecting to remain out of sight. But then Jesus comes by with a crowd of people, and Jesus stops right under him. And he doesn't speak to the crowd. He looks up. Zacchaeus! calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. Hurry down. I must stay at your house today. Well, here, congregation, we see the Son of Man display his divine sovereignty and his divine power as he seeks to find the lost. He has come to seek this straying church member, this church member who is attached to money, things of this world, this lost covenant child. This is the one who is picked out by the Son of Man. This lost child is the focus of Jesus' attention. He's traveling to Jerusalem on his way to the cross to obtain salvation for lost sinners and on the way he stops for Zacchaeus. And note that he calls him by name. He knows exactly who this lost child is. He knows him by name. Does that surprise you? Boys and girls, do you think that Jesus knows you by name? Because he does. He knows you. So would you be surprised if Jesus came to stop and seek you? Would you be surprised to know that he is interested in you? That he wants to speak to you by name? Because don't you think that he knows you? The name with which you were baptized, after all, you were baptized in his name. In one sentence, your name and the name of your Savior savior were combined in one sentence when you were baptized. And brothers and sisters, would you expect that he could find you? Even if you were trying unobtrusively to camouflage yourselves amongst the sycamore fig leaves. Well, not literally, of course, but trying to make yourself obscure in whatever place you're hiding do you think that you can escape jesus notice and perhaps some of you are thinking well i really i don't really want to be noticed by jesus i know my own weaknesses i mean if if he knew what i did this past week i would be ashamed of of having him stop and say hi to me And anyway, if he did, he would probably tell me how sinful I am. Why would Jesus stop for me? Well, yeah, why? Why indeed? That's because he is who he is, brothers and sisters. Because he is the savior of his people. Because he came to seek and save the lost. He came to save people who are aware of their own wretchedness. Aware of their own failures. And of their lostness. He came for people who are down about their own sins, who know that I blew it again this week. That's who he came for. He came for you and for me, sinners. God told Joseph through the angel, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus said, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And who is Israel today? That's you, congregation. You are the New Testament Israel. So Jesus came for you. And so instead of hiding because of your lost condition, what should you do? We should acknowledge that we are lost without him. Acknowledge your lostness. Believe that God poured all of his wrath on Jesus Christ. Instead of rejecting me, he rejected his son. Instead of condemning me, he condemned his son. And so do you really think dear brothers and sisters do you really think that Jesus would be less interested in you or me than he is in Zacchaeus We wouldn't dare accuse him of that would we It was well known that Zacchaeus was a sinner everyone in town knew it and perhaps his parents had been praying him for him for a long time already for him to repent who knows But the fact is, he's a sinner. But that does not stop Jesus. On the contrary, that's what motivated Jesus. And if Jesus came to seek and to save Zacchaeus, then he is willing to seek and save any lost sinner, whoever that may be. If he can save Zacchaeus, he can save you. If he wants to save this lost son of Abraham, surely he wants to save you. He's willing to save you, even after anything that you might have done to avoid Him, to turn away from Him, to hide from Him. You see, you are not a hopeless case, no more than this lost son of Abraham. No one is a hopeless case. Jesus Christ has come to save even the most desperate of sinners. Come down, He says to Zacchaeus, hurry up, I have to stay at your place today. I must stay. It's not an invitation. That's a command. Jesus is conveying divine compulsion here. The Spirit of God had made it clear to the Son of Man that he must go to the house of Zacchaeus. He came to save the lost, so to the lost he goes. And he seeks and saves, not just in words, but also in deeds. I'm coming to your place, Zacchaeus. And brothers and sisters, if you think Zacchaeus has an advantage over you because Jesus is no longer physically present on this earth, well then you're wrong. And I'm not sorry to say that because today he comes to you too in power, in the power of his spirit and through his word. And you hear his voice in the preaching of his word. And whenever you hear his voice, he is saying to you, I am coming to your place today. I want to live with you. In fact, I want to dwell in you, in your heart. And that brings us to the final significance of this passage. What is our response to the call of Jesus? Because this passage calls us to examine our hearts. Do you believe that Christ's death is your righteousness? You have received the promises of the covenant no less than the lost child of Abraham. You've been baptized in his name. So, do you believe then that he is interested in you? Do you believe that in him you find your righteousness? Because, think about it why did Jesus come to the house of Zacchaeus? It's not because Zacchaeus was looking for him, it's not because Zacchaeus was so happy to see the Lord Jesus. It's not because he said, Lord, I will give half my goods to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone, I will repay fourfold. That's not why Jesus came to his house. He came to make the point that he is the one who seeks sinners. He came to point out that salvation comes from him. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Why did Jesus say that? Not because Zacchaeus was, well, not really as bad of a fellow as everybody thought he was. No, salvation has come because Jesus has come to your place. And the reason salvation has come to your house is that you are a covenant child, Zacchaeus, and God has claimed you for himself. Jesus didn't stay away on account of this man's sins. On the contrary, Jesus came to his house because he was lost, because he was a lost child of Abraham. Note well, Jesus did not say, today this man has become a son of Abraham. He already was. That's why Jesus was there. He came to seek and save the lost. And he comes to find the lost sheep of Israel. That's why he's there. And brothers and sisters, isn't that of enormous comfort to all of us? I think especially of those who are praying For a lost child or a lost grandchild or a lost friend or family member. Jesus comes to seek and save lost covenant children. And from Jericho Jesus went on to Jerusalem. There he was crucified for the sins of his people, for the sins of Zacchaeus, for your sins and mine. He came to seek and save the lost, so he went to the cross to atone for the sins of the lost. And there our sins were piled on him, and he took the wrath that we deserve. And now he comes to you and says, I am coming to your place. I want to sit with you. I want to dwell with you. I want to dwell in your heart. Not because you're worthy, but because you're mine. You belong to me and you need saving." So, brothers and sisters, do you believe that? Because that's the point of this passage. It's not about Zacchaeus, but it's about the one who seeks and saves the lost. Do you believe the sure promises of God that all your sins are forgiven you for the sake of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, and that the perfect righteousness of Christ is freely yours through faith in him? And we may believe that. I may believe that. Not because I'm worthy, but because of Jesus Christ. My life is found in Him because He has first found me, just like He found Zacchaeus. So if you believe that, then how will you live? How shall we live? Well, brothers and sisters, let us delight in the Lord Jesus. Delight in the God of our salvation. Delight. In the Savior who comes to seek and to save you. Delight in having been found. Live in the joy of having your sins forgiven. And then live for the Savior. Live for the one who has found you. Amen.